Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and I'm coming to you from San Diego, California. Just moved from Taiwan, and I'm very excited to be here. And I'm also very excited to have this next guest, Franz Strynar, CEO and founder of Brave New Coin. And he's here to give us a 101 on his project. But before we go into that conversation, please, if you know anyone that would benefit from this show, please share it with them. Also, go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe, leave us a comment, and a rating. It helps us stay visible. And patrons, thank you for being patrons. And if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com, search for Crypto 101, and donate to help support the show. I want to say a special thank you to LinkedIn for sponsoring this show. And please remember that this is not financial advice, trading advice, investment advice, or personal advice. Now, without further ado, Brave New Coin 101. Franz Strynar, CEO and founder of Brave New Coin. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Man, I have heard a lot about this project, and I'm so excited to have you on to do a 101 on Brave New Coin. Before we get into that, where are you located right now? I am sitting in sunny uh, Auckland, New Zealand, a city of sales down in the uh, bottom of the world. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. How is New Zealand? I always heard only good things about there. Well, we have more sheep than people, so you can imagine, you know, we have very little problems in this country. (laughs) (laughs) There's There's a reason I've been here for so long. Right on, man. A little bit about you. Are you born in New Zealand? No, no. I was uh, born in Zagreb, Croatia. Okay. And, uh, I was like five years old. There was a war. And we kind of migrated to Holland, which is where I learned to speak English by watching American television, which is why I have this really weird accent. And then it was either Canada or New Zealand, and the immigration paperwork came through from New Zealand first, and that's why uh, I grew up here. Oh, right on. And that was a long time ago. I was only eight years old when I moved to New Zealand, so I consider myself a Kiwi, or Kiwi as bro, as they say here. So New Zealand, since you're eight, tell me a little bit about your past work growing up, what you were doing before Brave New Coin. So I've always just been the kind of guy that... Uh, you know, instead of being a doctor or being a plumber or being a gas fitter, I'd rather own the gas company or hospital or uh, waterworks, whatever. So I had to grow up quick just because of my childhood. And I quit school before my friends kind of went to university. And I went to like a private university. Uh, I finished a diploma in business and marketing. Sort of by the time my friends were all going to uni. And then I decided to just get straight into the workforce. And my first job was an assistant to the sales manager at a publishing firm. And I was looking after a magazine called Unlimited, which is an entrepreneur technology kind of rag. And uh, that was when I was first exposed to the concept of entrepreneurship and high-growing tech companies and all that fun stuff. And then I kind of progressed. Uh, there was an asset reshop between the various publishers, IDG and Fairfax, and they brought each other's magazines. And I ended up sort of uh, going from assisting one magazine to cross-selling events online, print, across five titles, including PC World, Computer World, Reselling You, CIO Magazine, all those tech titles. And that's where I first got fascinated with the concept of high-growing technology companies. Everything was moving into the cloud back then. Print in general was dying. The margins were thinning out. And so I knew that the death of print and advertising revenue, which is part of why BNC doesn't have any advertising or rely on selling eyeballs on, on the website. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but most importantly, I learned about the old lady in the corner that was selling data, made more money than the rest of the uh, company combined sort of thing. And I realized that data is of a lot of value. So that stuck with me for a long time. Now, fast forward I guess, 10 years working for like technology vendors like Vodafone and cross-selling you know, enterprise IT solutions and stuff like that. I ended up doing a master's of entrepreneurship. And it was right around the time when uh, I first discovered Bitcoin about 2010. So I discovered Bitcoin, I mined it on my laptop, found a few blocks, it was slowing down my machine. I thought it was magical internet <laughs> me, so I, so I just kind of turned it off. And then my buddy that introduced me to it, in like January 13, he's like, hey, yeah, that Bitcoin stuff's now worth like 80 bucks or whatever it was in January 13. And I thought, ah. So I was just about to do my uh, master's, the, the final kind of thesis, which was go and create a theoretical company and report on it. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, in the true spirit of entrepreneurship, I'm going to just quit and start a real company and not report to anyone. So I was doing a bit of importing, exporting, and that went well. That was sort of 2012 when I quit the uh, master's because I only ever did it to upskill myself, not for the, the carrot at the end of the stick. Right. And I've had all this fresh momentum and enthusiasm. I reread the white paper, and then I started ticking me. And the first epiphany was, well, data is now money. And the, the second epiphany, just equally as important, is that the world now has a fourth superclass of assets. So I thought, why not start a data company? And why not have a publishing part to it? Because we understand publishing. Uh, and that's basically how Brave New Coin was born. So I spent a lot of 13 just mapping it out, planning and doing bits and pieces. And I think we got the first version of the website live in like January 14, just in the hype and froth of the uh, bubble, whatever you want to call it, back in that cycle. It's been a wild ride, man, seeing this stuff go you know up and down since 2010. And early 17, everybody called us. Everybody wanted content. They wanted data. They wanted mm-hmm. indices, research. And... That's how I structured BNC. There's always been two parts. There's uh, what we used to call market data, which we now just call data because unbeknown to the viewers of the website, we suck in a tremendous amount of industry data, which is quite manual, and various blockchain data now as well. Just talking about a little bit of what you just said is you were mining Bitcoin 2010, you mined a little Bitcoin, and then your friend said, hey, Bitcoin's at 80 bucks, but then you decided to be an entrepreneur. Did you fuel that by the Bitcoin you got from 2010 mining, or was that completely separate? That was completely separate. Oh, okay. And so Yeah, so I mined that Bitcoin 2010. I don't know where that Bitcoin is, right? It's on a laptop. Oh, it's gone. It's, it's on an old laptop. I don't know which ex-girlfriend has that old laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's all right. I was like two blocks, so what, um, you know, 50 each. I, I bought a lot in 2013 because I wanted to use it and make payments and stuff like that, not for investment purposes. In 13, I still didn't think like, oh, we're going to see 20000 per Bitcoin, right? It was just wanting to actually use the technology in the, in the first place. And then I saw it as a way to essentially cut out all these middlemen and streamline efficiencies and post-trade settlement and everyday payments and the dream that uh, was was being promoted back then as a global reserve currency or an everyday currency. And Bitcoin's proven to be a good store of value and means of making large payments quickly and cheaply. So in other words, digital gold has ended up being Bitcoin's killer app for the time being. We may see it used as a currency as it figures out how to scale over the next decade or two. So we know about the inspiration. What does BNC do? What is BNC? So I'll try and make it as simple as I can. 
um, there's two divisions, or there were two divisions. Data, we tap into uh, 250 exchanges plus 100 plus something DEXs, some decentralized exchanges. And so we track everything, the order books, tick by tick, you name it, we collect it. And we have been collecting this data forever. So we've got this huge repo of back data on all exchanges, even the ones that are now gone. We take that data and we blend it into a local and global spot price. So in other words, we take like all the pairs of CNY LTC and we blend them together to get a CNY price for LTC. And then we take all the pairs for LTC and we blend them together to create a global price for LTC expressed in dollars convertible into anything else. So basically think of that spot price engine as a similar product to xe.com or foreign exchange rates or anything of that sort so they can power financial instruments portfolio managers with mark to marketing stuff in their um, portfolios powering various untold applications that simply need currency conversions it's a financial product and it can power securities it can power applications in that example you were just saying cny is the chinese yuan and ltc is litecoin is that correct that's correct Okay. Let me sort of tell you where it all stems from. When I reached out to a couple of guys back in the day to help me build this thing, I said, look, I don't know what the price of Bitcoin is because it's totally different on you know this exchange in, in Russia than it is in this exchange in Slovenia. And there is no price of Bitcoin. It's just a price that's contextually relevant to you depending on where you are and which exchange you use. This industry is clearly going to need better price discovery. Right. So why don't we just tap into all exchanges? And there was only five of them back then. And uh, start blending these rates together through you know good methodology, IOSCA practices and, and all the rest. And that started, that was like the first critical thing. So we could essentially do what CoinMarketCap does, but to a quality that is usable by enterprise and various others. Now, of course, that was really, really, really early. And we even built a, a separate engine, which we called the Liquid Index Series. And that doesn't take prices from hundreds of exchanges. That has a much deeper methodology that only allows uh, good exchanges to come in that are liquid and compliant, et cetera to build a uh, bulletproof index for Bitcoin and now for Ethereum and rolling it out for major coins. So that's a separate system that can create something that can't be manipulated if you want to create a financial instrument to benchmark against. Basically, we build bot pricing and indices and other data sets available via API, and we plumb that out to the old world. So we distribute that to, you can ask Amazon Alexa, what's the price of any coin that comes from us? You can call up oh, wow. uh, Teleprepon and ICAP, the world's largest inter-dealer brokers, and they carry our rates, our indexes in the Thomson Reuters Icon Terminal and the Japanese equivalent Quick Terminals. It's carried by South America's largest uh, market data distributors, Empiricus. It's available for a whole range of connectivity providers like Cult Technologies and Rhymes and API marketplaces like Kong and Mashape, etc., and so we've quite literally become the plumbing of this asset class to the old world. We supply pricing data blended from all exchanges to the old world. And we figured that was a great first step to help the old world understand and quantify and look at this stuff in the first place because they just want to see it pop up in their old systems, right? Right. That's the data division. And we are expanding far beyond what I just mentioned. In fact, next week or the week after, we're releasing one giant pipe. Uh, WebSocket that uh, you can basically query the, the price, not just the blended prices, 
that we produce, uh, but you could uh, have one API that gets prices from 250 exchanges, which is pretty crazy. Wow. So you, you, you don't need to manually integrate every exchange if you just want to suck down you know, their, their trading data in real time. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a pretty monumental effort. So the other division is content. And so when we started, we thought, well, we better have a brand if we're going to be uh, having these conversations of the Amazons and Bloombergs and everyone else in this world. And so we thought, why not aim for quality of a quantity? So I wrote a very simple editorial policy, which basically means if you talk about a company, talk about their competitors, if you're going to state a fact, reputable links, that sort of thing. And if it's an opinion piece, make that clear. So in other words, quality of a quantity. We don't do breaking news, Coindesk and Cointelegraph and whoever else can deal with that. And they're doing a great job of those things. We try and do long form journalism. We try and do more deeper technical analysis. So you'll see some pretty comprehensive charting and um, fundamental and technical analysis. And of course, we want to draw on our own data so we can try and make things more and more visual and more and more data driven in our content over time so we don't sell content we don't sell eyeballs we just give away some advertising to event partnerships you know just basic stuff and we produce little bits of research like full classification system for this industry which is called simply the cryptographic assets taxonomy and that's where things start to blend with our data because the taxonomy is not just a pdf it's also now available by api so you could get not just the price of bitcoin or any token hundreds and hundreds of them now but 65 data points like is it an erc or what's its algorithm and what's its block height if it has one and you know all kinds of information uh, programmatically through api now so we're trying to build the picks and shovels and the tools to power applications to power other products and and connect into the old world and the legacy worlds but we have quietly been working on a thirds division which is a monumental one uh, we're simply calling that my BNC. So for the last six years, there's been nothing to log into on our website. The website's just free information. Mm-hmm. It's like a beautiful business card, right? right. Either call us because you're enterprise or you need an API because you're a developer and there's links to that, or you just want to consume great content. But now, and by now I mean probably March, we'll roll out a beta for uh, my BNC, which you get to log into, and it's a full-blown portfolio tool it's an aggregate news solution. It's the beginnings of essentially an app store where we get to roll out more and more analytics, risk modules, information about companies as tokens start to represent actual companies like security tokens are not just ICOs that don't really have anything tangible to them. They start to represent people and shares and revenue streams and consumers are going to want adds information on directors, corporate actions, and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Like facts it. You can look up any company and find out all about them. And so we're, we're building something that feels like a terminal experience. You log into it. You can track your wallets. You can integrate to exchanges. Uh, you can run a series of reports. You can have aggregate news from hundreds of news sources all filtering into your preferences. And then we'll develop you know, live charting, intraday charting, and all sorts of other modules over time. I'm careful not to sort of disclose too much because we're keeping the roadmap quite tight. So that's that's exciting because it's going to be a global product. Uh, we're looking to uh, localize it so that it's not just an English-speaking audience. And as you probably know quite well, you know, Bitcoin and crypto is being adopted um, all over the world. And it's kind of hot pockets in different languages, not just in English. So yeah, that's terrifying and exciting all at the same time. <laughs> 
And now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn. Yo, yo, finding the right person can make a huge impact on your business. I remember when Mark Van Horn joined Crypto 101. He helped shape our future. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You can post on job boards, but think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding that right person to chance. When you can post your job to a place where 70% of the U.S. workforce already goes to look to grow their career. LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. People who are qualified for the role and ready for something new are right at your grasp just by using the utility that is already there. LinkedIn is the best way to find the person who will help you grow your business. And that's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. So hurry to linkedin.com slash crypto and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crypto to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash C-R-Y-P-T-O. Terms and conditions apply. Now, back to the show. So a couple of questions came out of this. First is your revenue. Everything's free. Uh, you're not selling content. Uh, you might have an ad placement here and there. Where do you generate your revenue? And the other question that came out of this is with your third division, my BNC, why? And I ask why because there's lots of portfolio apps. There's lots of charting tools out there. What is this going to add to BNC? And why, why is it going to be an, another service that you decided to incorporate into BNC? Firstly, we license our uh, proprietary blended data, the value-add data. We don't just take what an exchange does and sell that. We blend it together and, and create that spot pricing and custom indices. And we license that to about 18 major market data distributors. And then it flows on to countless apps and funds and traders. And we don't actually know a complete visibility of who ends up using it as it goes through these big distributors. So we've been commercializing that for a while now. And to answer your other question, why? Well, who better to build solid tools than a market data vendor in the... You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand. And even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. First place, right? <laughs> so there's lots of news outlets that create pro, you know, indices. Why? I like the simplicity of the answer. It was, it was, it's, it's obvious, yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, like we have, what, 40 people here um, in the Auckland office on the BNC project, and we have, we've got an exceptional product managers out of large telecommunications companies that have run big, big development cycles, and the, the most difficult part was actually getting a mix of skills. We've got a guy out of International Data Corporation to be the general manager who can just, is exceptional execution and team building and getting products out the door. And so we've got the best in class uh, all around the world, actually. We've got two in Manhattan, one in London, one in Tokyo, one in Singapore, all ex-market data guys or you know, ex-CME, ex-Goldman, ex-whatever, to build up this distribution team because the product has been validated so many times, right? There is no asset class-wide enterprise-grade vendor in this industry. And there's a good reason for that, because no one's been stupid enough to do what I did and pour in so much of my own money to build this over the last five years, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's just taken that long to understand how the market's shaping, shifting, the change in technologies. Like, half the exchanges out there, their APIs might as well be hosted on a potato, right? There's a massive, <laughs> massive drop-off in quality after the first 15, 20 exchanges. So you can only imagine the level of middleware that we've had to build uh, just to be able to, oh, an exchange goes down and we can just automatically identify that they've changed the outputs in their APIs or they're down or whatever, and it does not affect our real-time pricing or or data streams. For for an average person, you said API quality, and what does that mean? I don't know what that means. An API is an API. Yeah, so uh, an API is an API, but if it's hosted on a potato, it's not very reliable. <laughs> right? So, all right, you go to uh, an exchange that shall not be named, and you start to receive some, I don't know, uh, ticker data, uh, which is typically like a sort of sliding 24 hours in terms of volumes and, and prices and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, y- your first field in, in the JSON call might have been like the exchange ID, and then the second would have been the ticker ID, and then the third might have been the price. And then without notice, they just change it. That happens all the time. The amount of um, unbelievable uh, handholding required to continue receiving the data and continue cleaning the data has been just an astronomical effort. And that is why there's not you know, more vendors out there with the breadth and depth of data that we offer. So there's a good reason we don't have too many uh, competitors offering connectivity into that many exchanges or pricing blended from that many exchanges, that sort of thing. Have you guys sent out these exchanges a best practices document to say, look, this is how we want it, your shit set up. Please set it up this way <laughs> so we can use it. Well, we're, we're, we're often the ones to say, hey, uh, I think you should know there's something wrong with your API. And then they'll be like, oh, my, thank you very much for letting us know. We're just at the other end of the, the, the phone, so to speak, just continually listening, right? Right. So, yeah, funny enough you say that because we're actually in the process right now of communicating with every single exchange, which is a daunting effort. As you can imagine, the business acronym of some of these exchanges is, uh, well, non-existence, basically. You know, after you get past the Geminis and Krakens and more sophisticated exchanges out there, Bitfinex, et cetera, who know what they're doing um, from a business perspective. It's sometimes they don't even answer the calls or they don't have support staff, let alone business development staff. And, right. 
there's not much you can do. So we're just going through a process and have been for like six months now just to reach out and say, hey, this is what we do. We need to grow a tighter relationship. We can, you know, represent your data in more and more products as we get more and more customer inquiries, et cetera. So that's, that's just an ongoing and will be an ongoing effort. I got a question about 2017. 2017, okay, you've been in the game for a while. Old school, man. You're an OG. <laughs> you, I mean, shit, 2010, building shit in 2013. I mean, that's OG. Is, uh, that's the OG of OGs, right? So you built this in 2013, 14, 15, whatever. You saw the, the 14 uh, pump. You saw the first dip. Then you saw this crazy shit happen in 2017. Was it something that you had to scale to cope with? Were you ready for it because you already saw this before? And what did it do to your business? It's all a blur, man. I mean, I, I used to live in Queenstown, New Zealand. So lakes, mountains, wake up, there's, you know, beautiful vistas everywhere. I go for a walk and I thought I could run an international company out of the mountains. And I thought, you know, that, that's the dream. But it's called the dream because you've got to be asleep to realize it. So <laughs> I really needed to move to a big city to um, essentially find the talent and mm -hmm. the partners to be able to grow. Right. So I did that in early 2017. And just when I got to Auckland is when the whole industry exploded, right? So we already had like a very senior guy out of Melbourne, XSMP, that sort of thing uh, on the business development side. And the phones just started ringing one after another. All these conversations that we've been cold calling or being introduced to for years, they started calling us back and wanting everything, right? Stuff that, you know, we didn't have. Everybody wanted everything. It was all a big scramble. And this is 2017. But this is 17, right? So we picked up a lot of distribution deals. We hired a lot of talent. It started becoming easier to get guys to convince them to say, hey, look, you know, your life is meaningless and boring as a partner at PwC. How about you come and be our CFO or, or whatever the case is? <laughs> so we punched a bunch of people out of Macquarie Bank and International Data Corporation and all that sort of stuff and built up this you know, we're, we're really proud of our people because we're nothing without our people. But I won't talk about it too much, but BNC is owned by Tecumi, which is the company I originally founded, right? Okay. And in, in the winter of 14 and 15 and largely 16, I was a busy boy and I did other stuff. So I set up an exchange. I set up Blockchain Labs, which has done a whole lot of work with high-profile projects with blockchain uh, architecture consulting and smart contract auditing. So like every ICO on the planet wanted their token audited and you know various different enterprise solutions were starting to get more real than just some silly proof of concept. So that business got a lot of work and a lot of traction. I set up the Blockchain Token Association of New Zealand, and then I found some people to run it, and you know I'm just an alumni there now. I set up Techemy Advisory, so we hired more people out of M&A lawyers and, and uh, ex-investment bankers uh, to start working on security tokens in late 2017, mm -hmm. because that was obviously the next thing for us. So we've been working on security tokens since June, July 17, and then we set up Techemy Capital, so we set up a fund. You know, all this stuff was exploding around us. And we thought, why don't we set up a vehicle where we can actually get exposure to some of the infrastructure? And so we really matured our thesis on a macro level. First comes protocols, then comes infrastructure, and that infrastructure powers killer applications. We want to be the infrastructure supplier. So on-ramps, off-ramps, data, analytics, all of that is considered infrastructure to us. So the whole group grew, right? Mm -hmm. And that all basically scaled. It went from this crazy idea with Franny Boy co-founding 
four companies to consolidating everything into a very large office, having everybody work together close to each other, being able to integrate our products into each other, being able to share resources, like why does one company need a quarter million a year compliance officer when three other companies need it part-time? So let's just share resources and scale faster together. Right. And that's worked out brilliantly. Like I have to say I was worried about setting it up with just sticking everyone in one space, but we've got 75 people in the Auckland office here between the, the different co's and some satellite offices in, in uh, other places around the world. So 2017 was when everything started tying together. 2018, you have yourself a well-oiled machine ready for the next bull. What does the future of BNC look like? What is your best, brightest dream outcome of BNC five years down the road? Sure. And just to reiterate, so like 2017, we also produced a lot of revenues and we reinvested all of those into building products. And that's what we've been doing during 2018, right? Mm -hmm. The top was clear. We sold our Bitcoin, our Ether at 17K, 800 bucks per ETH, that sort of thing. And we basically just decided to build products because the best time to build products is when everyone's panicking. And one of the products is my BNC is something that you, you were building. Yeah, so that's well-developed, and we're hoping to do an alpha shortly and a, and a beta in March, and we want that to be a truly global product. Got some other products over so, there you want to tell us about? Uh, we took over an ICO that was trying to build a self-sovereign identity project, but basically we hired a CEO and imported every distributed application developer we could find from as far as Kazakhstan and Canada and all over the place. That was mid-17, and that's been under heavy research and development, building out their products. It just had a snag with some distributed databases, but that's the world we live in, and pushed out, I think, their release to about late Feb, early March. So that just makes client onboarding easier. It makes being able to own your own data, and it's an integral part of quite a few of the greater group's efforts and product mixes, especially around security tokens. Mm-hmm. Again, I got to be careful how much I can disclose, but no, 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 uh, that, that's my bet. I was just pushing, pushing. I knew, I knew this would be say, would be there. I'm like, mm, let's see what else you got in the in the pipes. So yeah, what is <laughs> what, what is the uh, BNC uh, future looking like? If you could just sum that up in about two or two or three minutes or so. Sure. Yeah. Look, I mean. A global product available and natively supported and marketed in Portuguese, Korean, Japanese, maybe even Chinese, and a range of other languages. A few hundred thousand users in the next couple of years, distributed via well-recognized financial service companies in different regions so that we can just activate an entire continent through a distribution agreement. We've scaled far beyond the portfolio tool and news and you know, well into risk management, analytics, companies' information. And we essentially start to um, represent something that resembles a mixture of Bloomberg or uh, MSCI, just because we have an index division. We're starting to power various different exchange-traded products, getting up in scale in terms of staff and usage. Uh, by 2021, which is what I expect the next peak to be in the next cycle, you know, this Bitcoin stuff is rather predictable when you look at the set supply curve. Mm-hmm. We hope that we're in a position where we've scaled, but we're profitable. So there's since the dawn of doing this, we're perpetually trying to grow faster than our revenues because it's a criminal offense to grow organically when the entire market you're working in is exponential, right? So it's just been about reinvestment, growth, reinvestment, growth, reinvestment, growth, new products, more people, scale, scale, scale. And then you reach a plateau where you've got a good market share, you've got lots of users, and you're a profitable company, mm-hmm. and then you relax, right? I'm not relaxing until we're sitting on that lovely peak in the future. 
that lovely peak in the future, you're going to run back to the mountains? Thinking about it, I mean, <laughs> if you, you kind of gather the, the evolving trend of this conversation, I'm not exactly a person that sits still, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it, but it also does sound like you want to not sit still in the mountains. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if honestly, if I wasn't doing this, I would be looking at some kind of funds to invest into technology startups, um, maybe in the material sciences area. That's the only other industry outside of blockchain that interests me. So you've been in the game for a long time. And a lot of people that got into the game around 2017 and saw, you know, or buying that 400, 500, 800 one thousand dollar ethereum or seventeen thousand dollar bitcoin they're hearing these kind of fables of the past they're hearing these people said you know back in the day or when i was a kid or or back when i was trading bitcoin no but they don't understand or they might not be, feel comfortable with the future of bitcoin if this was the first podcast somebody was listening to coming into the space or somebody that was holding that seventeen thousand dollar bitcoin what advice would you give them Oh, boy. Um, I mean, those are two different things, whether you're coming in now and you're totally new versus, uh, you know, those uh, that bought at um, at the peak in the last cycle. Um, I guess thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> wow. It's a hard way to learn the, <laughs> the realities of, of the cyclic nature. But, I mean, if you bought at the top and you sold at the bottom, like, that's just really unfortunate. You either hold on through or you find a better opportunity to redeploy your now smaller amount of capital into something that will grow faster to hopefully make your money back. But, like, hodling forever is not a good strategy. It's about risk management and wealth preservation uh, in general. It's the don't invest more than you can afford. This is not investment advice, da 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 da, da. Like the future is bright. I really see blockchain, crypto to be unbelievably disruptive. I still don't think that all of the different companies I talk to, all the big custodial firms, all the big data vendors, all the big uh, financial instruments, manufacturers, exchanges, and now increasingly like regulators and governments and big, big, big tech companies with uh, interest in financial services. I still don't think they get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like this industry is so blatantly clear what's going to happen. Bitcoin, blockchain will scale. There's right. too many billions for us not to figure it out. Right. It's like playing whack-a-mole on a treadmill. Oh, everything's fine. Oh, th there's a fork. You know, whack. There's another problem to overcome. Right. And then, you know, it's SegWit or something that represents the ability to scale and then it goes up. And then a new problem occurs. Like in the future, oh, there's a quantum computer or something. Whack. New problem. You just got to deal with it. And the industry has proven to be resilient and does deal with it. Mm -hmm. So the future in my mind is basically using this tech to replicate what the old world has done in a more efficient way, cost savings, cutting out middlemen, instant settlements, hopefully more transparency and less systemic risk, which is why I'm building tools. But we're also going to have unstoppable decentralized machines that you can't take down that are just completely and utterly unstoppable. Like, I'm surprised we haven't had more issues, shall we say, with uh, this technology being weaponized already. So it's going to be really interesting. Technology always outpaces regulators. Now we're seeing this massive wave to digitize anything, and that's been called security tokens. Right. And that'll be a thing. It'll take longer than people expect, but that'll be a thing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see like all kinds of stuff that people didn't expect. And and that's when things get weird. And that's what I look forward to. This isn't financial advice, of course. Do you think Bitcoin's going to go <laughs> to hit that 20,000 and beyond? Knowing your experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, unless there's some cataclysmic event like a solar flare, in which case we have much bigger problems than Bitcoin right. and its price, uh, or if there's some quantum computer that just decides to you know kill Bitcoin. The only way to really kill Bitcoin outside of maybe a quantum issue is um, just a systemic loss in confidence in the system, right? Mm-hmm. A con- long-winded and concerted effort to kill mass confidence in the system. And even then you can't totally kill it. You can just drive it down to obscurity. But something else will arise, right. you know? A genie's out of the bottle when it comes to unstoppable self-sovereign crypto money. Fran, I want to say thank you very much for the 40 minutes of your time. Thank you for the brave new coin overview the 101 and well man just dumping your nine years of bitcoin experience you know into very concise statements about the market the future and what to expect man i I really appreciate it no thanks for having me anytime appreciate it last question i ask everybody what three songs would you like to put on the crypto 101 spotify playlist sir Mm. Every day is exactly the same by Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll have to think about that. No worries. No worries. We'll just put that one on there and we'll call that your song and your contribution to our Spotify playlist. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it. Fran, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101 and I hope to talk to you again in the future. Awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Friends, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And in our next episode of Crypto 101, we talk to the organizer and the host of Token 249, which is in the middle of Hong Kong Blockchain Week. And we have a chat with Christopher Strach, and he's going to tell us all about what it takes to organize an amazing event and get some of the biggest and brightest people in the space to an event so please join us in our next episode of crypto 101 like always apogeecrypto.com a-p-o-g-e-e crypto.com the best place for your real-time prices and i want to say thank you to randy mcmillan for editing this episode we'll see you in the next episode of crypto 101